Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Special Spotlight. Oftentimes you'll see RSV patients presenting to your ED or hospital uh, with wheezing, with a lot of dyspnea. They'll have um, fairly high oxygen requirements, sometimes higher than uh, similar patients with influenza. Today, Drs. Laura Hurley and Angela Branch rejoin the podcast for part two of their discussion of the history, epidemiology, and burden of RSV in adults in this PV Roundup Special Spotlight. All opinions expressed are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the views of this educational initiative's supporters. Hello, I'm Laura Hurley. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Colorado, and I'm also a practicing general internist and health services researcher at Denver Health in Denver. Hello, I'm Angela Branch, an Associate Professor of Medicine and an Infectious Disease Physician at the University of Rochester Medical Center. I'm also the co-principal investigator of the University of Rochester's Vaccine and Treatment Evaluation Unit. Welcome to the second half of our discussion regarding RSV in adults. And you, you've mentioned this being um, something that causes a lot of problems for, for the elderly. Are there other particular groups of, of patients that we should be concerned about RSV? Yeah, that's a really good question. So RSV is a little bit different than, say, influenza um, and, and maybe even other respiratory viruses that we're familiar with in that RSV tends to be a little bit more indolent. Um, you might start with an upper respiratory tract infection. Um, and then when it gets down to your lower respiratory tract is really when you start to see a lot more um, symptomatic and severe illnesses. And what's different about it is that it causes sort of airway inflammation. Um, RSV infects both, um, you know, sort of respiratory tissues as well as cardiac tissues. And so you'll have a lot of inflammation in those areas. Um, and oftentimes you'll see RSV patients presenting to your ED or hospital uh, with wheezing, with a lot of dyspnea. They'll have um, fairly high oxygen requirements, sometimes higher than uh, similar patients with influenza. Um, and uh, because of that, um, oftentimes they'll have a more prolonged hospital stay. And so pa patients, particularly those with underlying um, chronic cardio cardiac or pulmonary conditions, things like COPD, um, asthma, congestive heart failure, um, even underlying cardiac conditions like coronary disease, um, all of those are associated with a higher risk of RSV-associated hospitalization and then sort of more severe outcomes um, once you're hospitalized with RSV. Uh, so those are, those are the kinds of things that um, differentiate RSV a little bit from, from say, influenza and also put uh, patients at risk for having more severe outcomes, including hospitalization when they are infected with RSV. Great. Thank you for that um, thorough response. Um, what about disparities um, in RSV-related hospitalizations and disease severity? What, what can you tell us about that? Well, what, what I can say is that this is an area that um, with other diseases, more work needs to be done. Um, I think that disparities related to RSV-related hospitalizations um, have to do with disparities in healthcare in general. Um, I don't think that there's been work done, or at least not work that I'm aware of, that has shown that RSV disproportionately expect, uh, you know, in, infects 
uh, certain races or ethnicities um, because of race or ethnicity. I think it's more related to um, underlying healthcare disparities in general um, that lead to poor underlying baseline health or poor access to care. Um, I think all of those things drive um, disparities in disease severity for many things, and that includes probably RSV um, and as well as RSV-related hospitalizations. Um, and I, I do think population density and um, crowning could play a role. Um, it's interesting. We did a study recently where we compared, um, where we looked at population-based estimates of RSV disease in adults um, in Rochester, New York, which is a medium-sized city with the surrounding suburbs and rural areas. Um, and then also in New York City in the Bronx, which is much more densely populated. And interestingly enough, um, rates uh, of RSV disease in, in New York City sometimes were much higher uh, than in Rochester. And some of it might have been related to living conditions. And in our, in our New York City cohort, um, they tend to have more multi-generational families living in the same, same home, whereas the average population or household size in our Rochester cohort was two. And so obviously, the more people living in a house, the more transmission there might be within that household. And so um, certainly those things play a role in transmission and in disease burden, um, which is something we saw with the COVID-19 pandemic as well. Dr. Branch, I was looking at an abstract that you had written regarding the functional status uh, decline associated with RSV um, after hospitalization. And I was wondering if you thought that was specific to RSV or if it was just related to having been hospitalized. Yeah, no, that's a great question, uh, Dr. Hurley. So this, this was part of our um, population-based uh, estimate study, epi study, looking at RSV-associated hospitalization in older adults. And in that study, um, as, as you may know, there's a 6 to 8% mortality associated with um, RSV infection re resulting in hospitalization, which is, which is pretty significant. Um, and in our study, we actually saw a 13% all-cause mortality and about six months out from hospitalization. But when we think about older adult populations and disease in older adult populations, something that often gets missed is that death is not necessarily the worst outcome. Um, for older adults, loss of function is equally as important. Um, and so when you're thinking about what's the true impact of disease um, or infection or hospitalization, you really need to not just think, think, think about who dies um, after they're infected and they're hospitalized. You really have to think about what's going to be the long-term impact on their quality of life. So this study was actually meant to try to see if we could answer that question. And it's incredibly hard to do. Um, because hospitalization by itself is a risk factor for loss of function. And so we did find that about a third of the people after they were hospitalized um, with an RSV infection, they lost function. And that function, the loss, uh, persisted six months out from when they um, were discharged. So they never returned um, to baseline, a third of those participants that um, uh, conducted these surveys with us. And it's, it's not necessarily that RSV um, by itself is what drove this loss in function. Certainly, if you're hospitalized for six to 10 days from, from other illnesses, that can be true. Um, but what is true of RSV compared to influenza and other viruses is because it is this sort of more indolent illness that leads to 
um, a lot of respiratory compromise. We do see sometimes longer hospital stays. We do sometimes see higher rates of requiring ICU care or mechanical ventilation or even supplemental ox oxygen. And all of these are things that prolong hospitalization. And as you know, the longer you're hospitalized, the more likely you are to lose function and, and for that loss to be permanent. And so I think there is something about RSV um, that does sort of drive um, loss of function in, in a way that, that that's quite profound um, and maybe potentially you know, more profound than, than with other illnesses. Thank you for that thorough response. Thank you so much for joining me um, today and for sharing your wealth of research and insight into RSV in older adults. And that's today's special spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Drs. Laura Hurley and Angela Branch and Sean Mullen for production assistance. Join me next time for the episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.